Hello, and welcome to Wild Women, the Wild Swimming Podcast. I'm Laurel MacDonald. I hope you've all been enjoying the last week of winter storms from a respectable distance, and that your favourite swim spot isn't too churned up and full of broken tree. Unlike mine. Today we are getting into your kits back. But first, if you are into the socials, you can follow Wild Women Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Although I'm not really feeling it for Twitter yet, and the best you're probably going to get out of me at the moment is my Wordle score on the days when I get five minutes piece to do it. Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me, and if you have any questions or want a quick natter, it's also where you will get to see my lovely guests' faces to see if they look exactly the way you think they will from the sound of their voice. If you love Wild Women enough to throw a penny in this busker's bobble hat, then you can buy me a coffee by typing ko-fi.com slash wildwomen into your search bar or following the link in the notes. All tips go towards the production costs of the podcast and have the added benefit of giving me a wee appreciative glow. You can also manage this by following, sharing and reviewing the podcast. Just imagine my wee happy face every time a review pops up. I read them all. And sometimes I do get a little bit misty-eyed. Today I'm here to fill your ears with all the hints and tips you could possibly need about neoprene. Yes, today is one for the wet-suited, gloved and booted among us, which at this time of year is pretty much everyone. A swimsuit might be all I need up top these days, but it's not so long since I was a neoprene queen all year long. And even now, no one is coming between me and my swim socks and gloves until about May at the earliest. There always seems to be a bit of attitude in the swimming community about what kit other people do and don't need or enjoy using, and I simply cannot be bothered with it. You do what feels comfortable, and remember that the swim and the cold is a personal and totally subjective experience. I'm not impressed if you're ice swimming in the buff, and I really don't care if you want to wear the thickest wetsuit and boots available in July. If that's what you need to get you through... Whatever you choose to wear, the only person you need to serve or impress is yourself. So, when I say wetsuits, what exactly do I mean? Because there are a few different styles for different activities. For our purposes today, they are basically divided into two categories. Swimming, or you'll probably see them listed as triathlon, and then there are the surfing suits. The tri-suits will be sleeker in the water due to having a smooth rubber skin on the outside and generally be more buoyant for speed and efficiency. They can be designed for different strokes to keep your body in the right position, depending on if you prefer to swim crawl or breaststroke. A surfing suit will probably feel a little slower and stiffer for swimming, and there is a nylon layer on the outside of the suit that causes a smidge more drag, but if it fits well and you're not aiming to win any events, it'll keep you just as warm in the water, and they are a lot more robust than tri-suits. The entry-level surf wetsuit designs do also tend to be more affordable, but don't get too excited about the middle-aisle bargains that appear each summer. As with most things in life, if you buy it cheap, you buy it twice, because if they don't fit, they are not going to keep you warm. And that is no use to anyone. So, today's episode is all about this neoprene life. What is this magical stuff that keeps us cosy in the chill and gives us only the best and least glamorous moments as we peel our chittering selves back out again at the other side. Where is it coming from? Is it a total planet killer? Why does it tear so bloody easily? How should we look after it, dry it, repair it? How should it actually fit? These and about a million other questions were answered by the lovely Gary Chambers from Bodyline Wetsuits in Newquay. 
He unpeeled those insulating layers and we talk all things wetsuit shopping, caring and repairing, blow drying hangers and is there a plant-based replacement on the horizon for this petrochemical king of the high seas? Are you a swimmer yourself? So I used to be a, a swimmer, sort of club level swimmer uh-huh. when I was very young. Um, <laughs> quite a good swimmer, but I, when you had to sort of step up to the next level to do county sort of stuff and it involved five o'clock wake-ups and down the pool by six. Yeah, that, that was the end of that one. So used to swim. I mean, we've always always lived by the sea. So like swimming, surfing, always sort of been in sort of hobbies and interests so oh you've done a triathlon as well uh, i did when i lived in london i did the london one like really enjoyed it I, I used to work for runners world yeah but married a little bit lazy now so uh yeah <laughs> it's gone a little bit to the wayside so shall we say you're based down in cornwall right yeah yeah in newquay oh lovely gives us a wee bit of background about body line and what it is that you do so my dad started the company um, in like the mid eighties. Um, he was making wetsuits for somebody else. You just basically kind of, cause they moved down to Cornwall, just wanted to, to live a better life. And he was really into surfing. Um, so he did that for a few years and then that was kind of in the heyday of surfing. So like Newquay and, and Cornwall was, you know, was the place to go. But one area of the market that just wasn't being serviced was kind of repairs. So he started doing a few repairs on the side and then that kind of snowballed. So like the end of the 90s, he just thought, just thought, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do repairs full time. And then he started doing a bit of warranty work for Ripco wetsuits um, and then like Billabong came on board and then Quicksilver and he slowly started working with all like the surfing brands doing their like warranty repairs as well as, you know, just general surfers. And, you know, like the business just just grew and grew, but he was just like really a one man band. Um, and then I came on board about eight years ago and we've, we've kind of grown it um, a little bit more. We've, we do um, like the repairs for a couple of tri brands. So, yeah, it's just we just service the sort of the repair side of things we like we used to make wetsuits but we don't anymore because it's yeah we, we, we stick to what we know sort of thing first off i asked gary for a quick start guide to neoprene what is it what's great about it and are there any downsides from an environmental point of view neoprene's is pretty dirty i mean they used to you know line landfill sites just because nothing will penetrate through it so it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty nasty stuff there are sort of more environmentally friendly uh, materials coming into the market, the likes of like the Ulux Corporation. But essentially, it's a lot of petrochemicals um, that form a rubber. And then um, for surfing, you have like a nylon um, material on either side, um, which is what we call double lined. And then for swimming wetsuits, you just have that nylon on one side. And then you have the rubber, so the smooth skin um, on the other side. So it's it's essentially, you know, like um, different sort of properties of rubber offer kind of flexibility, you know, and, and durability and things like that. It's, you know, you can have like, like the neoprene can have like air holes in it, which apparently gives more buoyancy, obviously makes it lighter and things like that. So kind of different kind of foams within that rubber offer different sort of benefits. So as a basic roundup and without studying for a degree in chemistry, 
As I understand it, neoprene is a synthetic rubber that was invented by DuPont in the 1930s. It's brilliant because it's water impermeable, soft, flexible, insulating, and it has a lot of applications away from the beach, from medical compression bandages to protective electronics cases. There are two primary methods for making neoprene, oil-based or limestone-based. Both methods use non-renewable resources and use a whole lot of energy besides and quite a few chemical nasties, including known carcinogens and a group of chemicals called mixed dialkylthureas, which led to neoprene being named as Allergen of the Year in 2009. Yeah, that's an award ceremony that I missed, but I bet the party was raw. Plenty of sore heads the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Are there there are better options out there for different sports, or can you just buy one wetsuit and hope for the best? You know, if you're only swimming in a in a swimming wetsuit, then you really should be in a swimming wetsuit because they'll they'll be designed, you know, like thicker panels, uh, you know, on like the legs and the and the body to to keep you flatter in the water. You know, you're going to have those sorts of features that you're not going to get with a surfing wetsuit. Yeah, if, if you're doing a bit of everything. You know, paddleboarding, surfing, bodyboarding, swimming, and probably a surfing wetsuit is, is absolutely fine. Uh, but if you're only swimming, then then yeah, probably a swimming only wetsuit is the way to go. I know a lot of um, like the swim companies that we work with, um, they often do a lot of training in surfing wetsuits because they're a bit more durable because they have that nylon material on the outside. Um, you know, obviously like swimming triathlon wetsuits, you know, are lovely, but they are a lot more fragile. And, you probably know yourself that they're quite easy to get sort of finger nicks in them. There's no reason why you can't swim in a surfing wetsuit, but you know, you may prefer to swim in a, in a swimming wetsuit. Yeah. And you know, if you're climbing over rocks when you're going swimming in the sea or wherever, or, you know, in a river with like trees, you might be better off going with something a bit more durable as opposed to a, a swimming wetsuit. And um, you should be going to a shop to try them on or, well, um, I was going to ask about that. How are they supposed to fit? Because I think a lot of people, you know, because there's a lot of different body types and there's not yeah. quite so many wetsuit sizes, as far as yeah. I can see. What are you, what are um, the key points you're looking for in a good fitting wetsuit? Um, you, it needs to be comfortable. Um, you know, it, it needs to be tight, obviously, because that's that's how it keeps you warm. But you know, it needs to be comfortable. And, you know, the best thing to do is, is go to a reputable shop, try on different brands, different sizes. Um, I mean, size charts are, are good to go on, but, you know, I think if you're buying something just based on like measurements on a piece of paper, you know, there's a chance that it's not going to, not going to be the right wetsuit. So try on a few brands, you know, speak to somebody you know, to say what your budget is, you know, what your ability is um, and what you're looking for, um, you know, and hopefully they will, they will point you in the right direction or certainly, you know, show you some options um, for you to try and then make a choice from there. So, so yeah, speak to clever people who know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, any, any shop that's worth their salt isn't going to sell you something that you don't need. I mean, even sort of hiring a wetsuit for a season, there's, you know, there's companies out there that will do that. I mean, I remember when I did my, my triathlon, I hired a, um, a wetsuit for a season. I think it was like £50 um, because I was thinking, am I either, I'm either going to get into this and buy my own one or maybe I'm not. And then, you know, it's only £50 and I've not got a wetsuit that isn't going to be sort of kicking around, you know, not being used. So, 
you know, if there's demo days, maybe go try, you know, try some suits and there's lots of open water swimming places that, that, that would be offering that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just kind of shop around. Unfortunately, there's not loads of stock at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit more difficult, but, but yeah, certainly, certainly go check out some places, speak to some, some people that know what they're, they're talking about and, and ideally try some before you buy. There's a big push I'm kind of seeing, uh, looking for kind of representative body types and stuff when it comes to people buying kits. So actually being able to buy wetsuits for different body types and you know, like some of those campaigns are really kicking off right now. And that's great to see as well. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, I mean, I don't know, you know, snug wetsuits? Not personally. So he's he's based in Newquay as well. He's literally just, he just moved factories, but he, he's still in Newquay. And there's really only him. Um, there's a company in Wales called No Limits. And they're pretty much the only two custom fit, like UK wetsuit companies. I mean, I'm sure there must be some in America and across the world, but in the UK, there's, a, there's only two places that you can get measured for a wetsuit, choose you, your colours if you're having colours, and, you know, they offer that. So, you know, and they do make really good suits. So, you know, that's an option. I mean, it does come at a, at a premium, but, and, you know, they are good suits as well, and they do last. So there yeah. is that option as well. I mean, we, we do kind of minor alterations, like if you can get a wetsuit to fit in the body, we can alter the arms and legs. That's that works out pretty cost effective. But if you are an in-between size, and unfortunately, a custom suit is probably the only way that that you're going to get a suit that fits you. So, how about looking after them then? Getting them dry first of all. Well, don't put it in a tumble dryer first of all. <laughs> so obviously, you know, after after you've been swimming, you want to you know fresh water. You know, give it a good rinse. You know, let it soak for a few minutes. Um, you know, make sure the zip has had a bit of a flush through with some running water. Um, and then you really want to hang it by folding it over. Um, you know, ideally something kind of like, you don't want to hang it over a washing line because obviously when it's wet, it's heavier. And, you know, the thin washing line will compress the material. So if you've got like, um, you can buy specialist wetsuit hangers, but anything, you know, like a, any kind of like trouser hanger, but maybe with some pipe insulation, just so it's a bit bit bulker, bulkier, a bit softer, um, and then just let it like dry in the shade um, in its own time. And you can give it a squeeze out just to kind of help things along. You know, roll it in a towel is another way to to sort of speed it along. But certainly, don't hang it in the sun. Don't kind of get a hairdryer on it or, or put it on a radiator. We see that from time to time. Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's a few companies um, that that are starting to sell those kind of hangers and things. So. Mm-hmm. I think there was even one company that's got like a battery powered fan built into the actual hanger bit. So, okay, you know, I'm not going to leave you with questions on this one. I went for a hunt, and I mean, you know me well enough to know that the amount of research I did for this whole episode was just about the same amount of time that I spent noseying up on the design of wetsuit hangers. And I did find a machine called the Blossom, which makes my Scottish ear very happy indeed. It kind of looks like what would happen if a regular chunky coat hanger hulked out and sprouted wires. There is a fan at the neck that pushes air right through the suit and claims to be able to dry a soggy winter wetsuit in an hour. It even comes with a 12-volt car adapter for the adventure days. Sadly, the website says that they are all out of stock until September, so you'll just need to keep your tinder dry on this one or be super organised and get it on the Santa list. <laughs> 
If you can't wait for that, then there are a few that look like regular coat hangers with slightly broader shoulder pads. But based on what Gary was saying about the weight, I'd maybe only go for those if for hanging an already dried suit. And there is, of course, the sea monster, which looks like a mashup between some sort of medieval sexcapade implement and a chunky tuxedo hanger. There is a bar for hanging the soggy wetsuit by the waist and a couple of nifty, um, I want to say spikes for airing out your gloves and boots. It looks ace anyway and it keeps your whole kit together and it is also made for recycled materials, which gives me a happy feeling. Now, where were we? And how problematic are things like salt and sunlight and like peeing in your wetsuit, which everybody you know it, it's a thing that everybody's talking about what's yeah. that doing how, how is that damaging your wetsuit you, well you want to be washing your wetsuit out you know and you know because essentially you know you're probably either nothing or a pair of trunks underneath your wetsuit so there's a lot of you know sort of body odors and oils that are come, like coming out of you that are going in that suit which isn't going to do any favors um obviously the salt like wetsuits last as long as you know you use them and, and abuse them sort of thing so you yeah. do want to be washing them out and kind of every so often using like a wetsuit shampoo just to give it a good rinse out and things like zips as well you want to make sure they're not getting salt buildups in there if you, if you do things like that then you know you're going to save yourself some money getting somebody like me to repair your wetsuit put it that way so on to repairs then what kind of things are available like how big a patch can be patched and what kind of alterations could be made if you've torn it? Um, I mean, we can pretty much do anything, but obviously there's a point where, you know, you're better off investing in a new wetsuit. You know, most common ones of like broken zips where people are yanking their zips up and it's, it's breaking teeth. You know, just putting your, like when you're getting in and out of your wetsuit, like if you're putting your foot through, if you're being a bit sort of ambitious, um, getting into the wetsuit and getting out of the wetsuit. Um, general sort of cuts I mean we can kind of if somebody's torn their wetsuit we kind of shape a panel in to replace that damaged area so we can pretty much do anything general wear and tear like with swimming wetsuits if you have holes in your in like the stress areas like the armpits or the crutch we can replace panels um, so yeah we, we can pretty much do anything but the, you know there is a point where it's, it's potentially too far gone or too expensive now, believe it or not, with a couple of thousand questions I asked Gary, I did actually manage to miss one. But he's a total sweetie, so when I emailed and asked, he wrote to me a reply and said I could read it out loud. My question was, are there any repairs that wetsuit owners could or should be able to manage at home? And his answer, typically well thought through, is yes and no. If your wetsuit is expensive and or the damage is pretty bad, then get it repaired professionally. Any repair you do yourself is unlikely to last for very long, so you'd be wasting your time and money, and it could also make a professional repair more expensive. For things like finger nicks and or when a wetsuit has seen better days, then a DIY is a great way to squeeze a little bit more life out of a wetsuit for not a lot of money. Gary's advice would be to firstly contact a repair centre and go through the issue with your wetsuit. Find out if a DIY repair would affect their repair and also whether there would be any benefit to you having a go yourself. They will probably be able to sell you a repair kit for the job. If you want to try repairing your wetsuit yourself or you're on holiday and need a quick fix, less is more when it comes to neoprene glue. Do not smear neoprene glue on damaged areas as it's likely to make things worse. There's a link to Gary's website in the show notes that has some advice for DIY repairs. 
having a, a squint on your Instagram, I've seen that you've done some like designed alterations for people with accessibility issues. So if you, what kind of things are you able to do? Good timing. I had a meeting this morning with Finisterre um, because they've just um, launched their wetsuit project. Um, and that's basically about um, giving people more accessibility to, to the water and, and the benefits of blue health. Um, so we're doing alteration of things like zips um, for people with mobility issues. In the past, we've done kind of alterations um, for people with like prosthetic legs. So kind of creating a, the seal so they can go surfing, even though, um, you know, that they've got um, artificial limbs and things. Um, you know, things like um, like colostomy bags, we've kind of, you know, done access points. So people that, that have those don't need to have to, you know, don't have to come out of the water, um, you know, completely take their wetsuit off. So, yeah, we, you know, we're seeing more and more of those, which is great because, you know, it's, you know, we enjoy hearing the stories of sort of people getting into getting into the water and things like that. So, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, something that we, we do and, yeah, we enjoy doing it. Now, the Finisterre Wetsuit Project was a new name for me too. So, of course, I went snuffling about the project warmed my wee heart right up, so here is the news. In brief, the project is funded to specially adapt wetsuits for people who face barriers to accessing blue spaces. Getting into a wetsuit is a challenge and a trial for the most able among us, so spare a thought for those who physically just can't encase themselves in rubber in order to fling themselves into the sea. We all know the benefits to our mental and physical health that dipping, playing and swimming outdoors gives us. Now, imagine if you fancied a bit of that but you weren't able because the kit you need just doesn't exist. Well, a wetsuit that is adapted for specific needs is totally possible, but probably expensive enough to keep it out of reach for most. So here comes this project, just breaking down those barriers for anyone who wishes to enjoy the water. If this sounds like it might help you or someone you know, then the Finisterre Wetsuit Project is open for applications, and I have dropped a link to this in the show notes. And how should we be getting in and out of our wetsuits? Is there any special tricks? Is there anything, any uh, industry tricks. knowledge? Uh, there's the old trick of putting um, plastic bags over your, your arms and legs. I don't know if you ever used to do that as a kid. Like the material is that stretchy nowadays. You, you kind of just need to go a little bit slower and just maybe like, like a pair of socks, you need to sort of just kind of like inch into it as opposed to just sort of try and force your, your fist through from from your armpit sort of thing so yeah and just make sure everything's in the right place so if you know if there's a back zip you want to make sure your knees and your crutch are in the right place before you kind of put the top half and you know don't just sort of grab the zip pull and just sort of yank it up get somebody else to do it and things like that so other than the downsides of neoprene other than it being just a filthy product um can it be recycled or is there any like reuses for spent wetsuits what happens to them when they're past that point in the uk there isn't really anything unfortunately hmm. um rip curl in australia have just started working with a company where they're breaking um neoprene down into like little nuggets um, and they're using those in like playground for like the protection the, like kind of the matting mm-hmm. There's a few brands in Europe that are turning old wetsuits into kind of dry bag sort of things. But to be honest, there's no like big scale projects where they're breaking the materials down, you know, like with, with mobile phones where they take everything apart and then sell those components. 
I mean, nobody's really doing that on a grand scale for, for wetsuits, unfortunately, in neoprene. It's very much, at the minute, it's very much, you know, turning our wetsuits into like handbags and bracelets, which, you know, which is, which is good, but, you know, it's not yeah. it's just, it's a drop in the ocean sort of thing. It's, then, you know, there needs to be that kind of, it needs to be in like, like, like insulation and things like that. And we have looked in the UK to see if anybody's doing it or willing to do it, but there just doesn't seem to be it at the moment. Still, still that gap there then? No, yeah, and no, hopefully that'll change, but yeah, at the moment there is there is it. Oh, that's that's upsetting to hear. So I take it they're basically just landfill at the moment. Unfortunately, yeah. And you know, as water sports like swimming, surfing, bodyboarding, paddleboarding become more popular, there's there's only going to be more and more wetsuits that, that are going that way. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's great that companies like Patagonia you know, and the brands that we work with are extending the life of products, but yeah, there mm-hmm. isn't really anything after after that at the moment. Ugh. And also, ugh. yeah, existential despair. But with that, there are an estimated 380 tonnes of wetsuit waste dumped in landfill in the UK every year. They are pretty much impossible to recycle because of the number of materials involved and because neoprene is heat set, which means that you can't just melt it down and start again the way you can, for example, with simpler plastics, like a water bottle. Finisterre, yeah, them again, clearly fighting the good fight for us ocean-loving buddies, were running a research project to try and find out how old wetsuits might be recycled, but I haven't found any more recent updates on the project from that since 2018. One of the early findings that we might do well to learn from is that they found that older wetsuits, though aesthetically not so pretty anymore, performance-wise they don't actually degrade that much. So just because it's a bit battered or faded doesn't mean that it's not still going to be able to keep you cosy if you treat it right. I reckon that's something we all need to start thinking about a little bit more. Like my old granny said, buy it well, look after it, and then use it to death. Have you worked with like the the Ulex um, stuff, the kind of more natural rubber? Yeah, yeah I think it's all uh, like a tree-based rubber. I don't know mm-hmm. the exact sort of terminology, but yeah, it comes, I think it's like the Evia plant. So, you know, it, it's better in that sense, but how much better, I don't know, because, you know, things like transportation and things like that. Is- yeah. Um, have you have you worked with it um, yeah. as a as a product is it a kind of noticeable difference in in feel or yeah it's um it's a bit it's not as smooth um and it's a bit stiffer at the moment there is a tendency to have like super super stretch wetsuits which you know we you, you don't really you know you only need to sort of stretch your arms so far so in a side-by-side comparison it's, it's probably not as stretchy don't know how it compares like like for like on a warmth basis but i haven't heard any any complaints but you know a lot more companies I'm not sure in the swimming market if anybody's using um like more natural rubbers surfing you know like like finister patagonia and a few other brands are starting to use um uh, surface and needs essential or all, all starting to use that you know ulux material you know the pandemic isn't going to have helped things and i don't know if you know pretty much all the the leading wetsuits are all made by the same company shaco obviously 
China and Far East have, have got their own problems at the moment, supply chain issues and things like that, and like energy and like labor. So like Shaco at the moment is way behind with their production. So yeah, that kind of product development side of it's going to have a lag then. Yeah, you know, and if you know, whereas they can just you know produce neoprene a lot quicker and easier, you know, unless companies using Ulux, etc., are paying a lot more money. Yeah, I think they're probably going to just go after profit over the planet, sort of thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Gary. I really appreciate no it. Nice Cheers. to speak to you, Laura. You too. Bye bye. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. I have just realised I forgot to ask. <laughs> My first question is always for people just to say their name nice and clearly for the tape um, so that I don't lose it or mispronounce it. Yeah. And I've just realized I haven't asked you to do that. So could you say your name nice and clearly for me? Yeah, it's Gary Chambers from Bodyline Wetsuits. Thank you. And that is going to be edited out and plonked right at the beginning <laughs> of the chat. <laughs> this is the great thing about editing. Nobody knows when I... <laughs> and that's where we're going to leave it. Thanks again so much to Gary from Bodyline Wetsuits. If you've got a torn wetsuit sitting out of commission in your wardrobe, then give him a call and see what can be done about it. Neoprene is too big an investment for planet and pocket for it to be sitting around idle. You can see more from Bodyline Wetsuits on Instagram at bodyline underscore wetsuits and the links to their socials and website are in the notes. You can follow Wild Women Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to see what I'm up to. Send me a message. And if you use the hashtag wildwomen, I do share Instagram posts on my stories every Tuesday. You can buy me a coffee and contribute to the goal of covering the production costs of wildwomen at ko-fi slash wildwomen. A wee donation really does make a massive difference, helping me to keep this pod show on the go. Please remember to check out the Surfers Against Sewage Million Mile Cleanup too. I will be out at Lunderston Bay this Saturday, the 26th of February at 10am with my litter picker and a bunch of other wild women to try and make our own little corner of coastline just that little bit tidier than we found it. Thank you, as always, to Mary St Mary of the Housecoat Project for allowing me to use the theme music. You can find links to their work and everything else we have talked about today in the show notes. Until next time, get that kettle and it's time for a cup.